Hello, and welcome to the Harvest Podcast, brought to you by The Field in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we put love into action. We hope that you are blessed by these previous sermons by our pastor, Reverend Dr. Peter M. Weary. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment on whichever podcast platform you use. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church, as well as Instagram at The Field CLT. Be blessed. Hallelujah, somebody. How about some after-resurrection joy? I mean, we've just celebrated the most cataclysmic event in the history of humanity. Last Sunday, we let everybody know, friend and foe alike, he is risen, not he has. That's in the past. He is risen. He's still alive. Hallelujah, somebody. So here we are today celebrating in post-resurrection glow and glory that Jesus is the living light of the world. Aren't you glad we serve a risen Savior? He's in the world right now today. I know he's living. I don't care what y'all say. I can hear him. I can see him. I can feel him. And just when I need him, there he is. How many know he lives? Would you just say it wherever you are? He lives. And I know he lives in me. Hallelujah, somebody. So here we are today, continuing the celebration. We invite you now to the Word on this post-resurrection Sunday from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. It begins on the same day of resurrection. On that same day, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were take, talking to each other about all the things that had happened. As they talked and discussed, Jesus himself drew near and walked along with them. They saw him, but somehow did not recognize him. Jesus said to them, what are you talking about to each other as you walk along? They stood still with sad faces. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have been happening here these last few days? What things? he asked. The things that happened to Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. This man was a prophet and was considered by God and by all the people to be powerful in everything he said and did. Our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and he was crucified. And we had hoped that he would be the one who was going to set Israel free. Besides all that, this is now the third day since it happened. Some of the women of our group surprised us. They went at dawn to the tomb but could not find his body. They came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who told them that he is alive. Some of our group went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, 
how foolish you are, how slow you are to believe everything the prophet said. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? And Jesus explained to them what was said about himself in all the scriptures, beginning with the books of Moses and the writings of all the prophets. As they came near the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they held him back, saying, Stay with us. The day is almost over and it is getting dark. So he went in to stay with them. He sat down to eat with them, took the bread and said the blessing. Then he broke the bread and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, wasn't it like a fire burning in us when he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? They got up at once and went back to Jerusalem where they found the 11 disciples gathered together with the others and saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. The two then explained to them what had happened on the road and how they had recognized the Lord when he broke the bread. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me this morning, if you will, on the thought penetrating the past. Penetrating the past. Let's pray. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope. Let my will be lost in thine. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This very interesting story in the Gospel according to Luke happens on the same day as the resurrection was discovered. The text says, that same day, the first few words. It refers to the first day of the week in verse 1. This Resurrection afternoon is when it happens, just hours after Jesus had risen from the dead. The text talks about two of them, referring to all the rest. As verse 9 stipulates, these were two disciples of Jesus, Cleopas, is never mentioned in any list of the apostles. So these are two among the rest rather than among the 11. Bergant suggests that they may be husband and wife in part because they offer hospitality jointly as a husband and wife might do. We don't know. The story doesn't tell us. It also does not either tell us 
why the travelers were going to Emmaus, although their hospitality to Jesus, their invitation to stay with them, makes it probable that Emmaus is their home. Fred Buchner says, quote, Emmaus is where we go where these two went to try to forget about Jesus and the great failure of his life. Their eyes in meeting him were kept from recognizing him. Verse 16 says, their eyes were held, the Greek says. The problem isn't that Jesus' appearance has changed or that the Emmaus disciples are distracted. The verb here is passive, indicating that these two disciples are being acted upon. God seems to be doing something, teaching something, so that their eyes would not be allowed to see what was happening in the moment Apparently so the lesson could be more pointedly understood. This is the very encapsulation of the past of a person. The text opens in real time in the same day. But these two, these disciples of Jesus were caught up in what had been the past. They didn't have a vision of uh, the reminders and the teaching they'd received about what the future would bring. They were just transfixed. They were locked in the events of the past few days, and, and they were willing to foreclose on their entire history and their entire future because of the disappointments of the past few days. Isn't it just like so many modern day disciples? We've got a loaf of bread under one arm and a bag of money under the other arm, some of us, and some of us have a black book under one arm, and some of us have celebration materials under the, some of us have books under one arm, and some of us have pen and paper, computer, laptop, two-in-one, desktop, PDF under the other arm. We've got so much going on today that we overlook because of our past. We've been foreclosed upon so many times. We've been let down so many times, been disappointed so many times, been run amok. Been, uh, been cast away so many times, been betrayed so many times that when we're standing today, when something extraordinary has happened and is happening today, we're unable to even see it, can't imagine what tomorrow might bring because we cannot penetrate the problems of the past. I'm here today to encourage somebody that post-resurrection, this is the time to get our past in perspective. 
I want to talk to anybody who's ever failed at anything. I want to talk to somebody who has struggled of recent vintage. And I, I want to talk to somebody who is stumbling now because you've been stumbling in your past. I want to talk to somebody who's locked out of your future because you've got yourself quarantined still in the events of your past, the disappointments, the failures, the stumbling, the falling, the falling outs, the alienation from friends. I want to talk to somebody who's lost a lot of money. I want to talk to somebody who couldn't make enough money. I want to talk to somebody who's been sick and you're still suffering the impacts. I want to talk to some folk who had COVID-19, but you got long tail COVID, so you're still dropping things and forgetting things and stumbling around. You still have respiratory issues. I want to talk to some people whose past has got them beat. I want to talk to somebody whose overwhelming grief has got you mourning instead of living. Jesus meets these two people on the road to Emmaus. Why he's there on this road, we aren't told. Why they are there, we can only assume they might be going home from Jerusalem, giving up on the new movement they saw happening. Seven miles or so from Jerusalem, uh, is their home, and they're walking to get there. And Jesus comes with some real skills for penetrating their past. He, in a sense, these two are the example of every disciple after Easter, after resurrection. These two are just like so many of us who get caught up in our feelings because of what happened yesterday. Jesus gives us some tools to penetrate our past. So what are these tools? First of all, Jesus, uh, by his own actions and by this walk and by their confession, these two teaches us that first and foremost, if you want to penetrate your past, pay attention to what Jesus is doing right now. Here, is, here it is, verse 21a, and we had hoped, they said, that he would be the one who was going to set Israel free. We had hoped that he would be the one who was going to set Israel. We had hoped. I want you to know, family, these are some of the saddest words a person who is a disciple can speak. We had hoped, meaning the stuff you hoped for is over, meaning the things you had hoped about are now hopeless, meaning that you've given up on the revolution, you've walked away from the new reality that Jesus had come to bring. We had hoped our sad words, hope, nothing is sadder, family, than hope in the past tense. Hope turned hopeless. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt the despair of hope in the past tense? 
Most of us at some time in life experience hope gone bad, hope turned hopeless. I had hoped to get an A in that class. I had hoped that we would win the tournament. I had hoped to get a good job after graduation. I had hoped that she would marry me. I had hoped that the doctor would have better news. I had hoped, I had hoped that we would get the house. I had hoped that we would make uh, this new money. I had hoped that we would be able to start that business. I had hoped that the job I got was going to work out better. I had hoped that the one I did marry would work out better. I had hoped, I had hoped, hope in the past tense, hope turned hopeless. For these disciples, the redemption of Israel meant Israel's liberation from their enemies. I had hoped that we were going to get free from oppression. For Luke, though, Jesus did, in fact, redeem Israel and brought the kingdom of God to humanity. That's Luke's perspective. But it is by the death of Jesus that he accomplished this redemption and sealed this new covenant. He said the cup he would give to them at the Last Supper would represent a new covenant. Listen to it. Sealed by his blood. Sometimes, family, we can't penetrate the past. It's a locked box. It's a stone that we can't get in the middle of because, because we too often miss the reality that Jesus is doing something right now. The average person is too busy praying, too busy looking to, the, to, the, to, to, to Jesus to do something that you think he has not done. Praying over past hurts, praying, release me, God, from the pain. Release me, Jesus, from the strain. Release me from the struggles of the past. Somebody needs to understand that tonight, uh, today, this very day, Jesus is doing a new thing right now. Sometimes we can't get past the past because we, too often we, we miss the realization that Jesus is doing something right now, but our hope is hamstrung. We're too busy looking longingly backward at uh, the hopes gone bad that, that we miss the thing he's doing right now because it doesn't conform to what we had planned or we're too disappointed by what has been. We can't let go of the pain the past has caused. We cannot get out of what we were in the past. We feel like we're incapable of overcoming the past. Jesus is doing some stuff right now. This is going to sound oversimplified, but can I tell y'all, Jesus is really modeling here the fact that he shows up in real time for these disciples who had been with him in the past, who had struggled through the days of crucifixion, their confession to Jesus, their challenge to him lets you know that, that, that they they saw what happened to him. They've been talking about it, and they can't even focus on the fact that he has 
shown up right there on the road where they are and they missed it because they were tied up in yesterday. We're too busy looking backward to know that he's doing some stuff right now. So I say to you today, let it go. Let it go. Whatever it may be, release yourself to hope and do it right away because whether you know it or not, this day that we come as disciples to worship is the day after resurrection. And I need us to remember that Jesus is doing some stuff right now. Can I get some folk whose heart is broken and they cannot be happy because of the break in that heart? I want you to know Jesus is doing some stuff right now. What is he doing? He's healing broken hearts. If you are there, if you are that one walking the road to your place of retreat after the events you thought of failure, I want you to know Jesus has shown up here at the field right now to bring some faith to those who think they have failed. I want you to know he's doing some stuff in your right now. Stop looking back over your shoulder. You're going to walk crooked and run off into a ditch. No, Jesus has come alongside us right here in this moment, this Sunday uh, for us after Easter. He has shown up in our resurrected experience and he has manifested himself. His presence is here. His person is here. Penetrate the past by just remembering, focusing on what he's doing right now. If you don't believe Jesus is doing some things right now, then you don't believe in resurrection. If he is a dead Savior, I don't need a dead Savior because if he didn't defeat death, then I am of all people most miserable. But if you know that you know that you know he is risen from the dead, then look at all of the stuff that has plagued you in your past, the broken relationships, the failures, the losses, the pain, the struggle, the sickness, the sadness, the confusion, the depression, the oppression. Look at it all and just remember this. No matter what has been, Jesus is doing some stuff right now. I wonder what he's doing in your life as a disciple. What is he doing? Half the problem with a lot of us is we don't even know what he's doing right now. We haven't taken inventory because we're too busy looking backward to the past. Can I tell you, he's blessing me right now. Can I tell you, he's, he, he's healing me right now. He's lifting me right now. He's helping me right now. He's inspiring me right now. He's loving me right now. He's, a, he's, he's delivering me right now. What is he doing for you? You ought to be focused right now on what Jesus is doing because he's doing it right now. One of the old church songs used to be, he's an on-time God. Well, on-time is his time, but he's doing stuff in our time right now. What is he doing for you? Focus on what he's doing right now. And your past, you'll break into it and understand that it's not nearly so awful as it seems. These disciples didn't have the insight that Jesus offers us through the pen of Luke 
If you want to penetrate your past and break inside the strictures and structures that keep you locked in prison, negative all the time, nothing ever good, nothing good ever happens. Anything good does happen. The first thing you see is the negative slant. Penetrate that stuff. Get inside and subject it to what Jesus is doing right now. Can I assure you that whatever it is that's been going on is not nearly as powerful as what Jesus has got going on right now. You want to penetrate your past? Then, then make sure to focus on what he's doing right now. And then reinterpret your own story. Watch the B section of verse 21. It says here, besides all that, these disciples are still talking. They had hoped he was the one. And besides all that, this is now... The third day since it happened. Don't you miss that. This is now the third day since it happened. The irony is that even though each passing day has deepened their despair, Luke's readers know that Jesus predicted his resurrection on the third day. Not only that, but Jews would already understand that after three days, the possibility of resurrection is gone because they believe that the, the soul lingered with the body for three days. And since they hadn't seen him, they assumed that he had not done what he promised. The mention of the third day itself is full of hope to folk who know how the story ends some of the women of our group, they said, surprised us by reporting that, that they went at dawn to the tomb, but could not find his body. They reported having seen a vision of angels who told them, verse 23 says, that he's alive. The, the report of the sisters produced astonishment, but it's interesting, it did not produce faith. I mean, we look for stuff to be negative about. I can't even tell you how many people I know who will nitpick if, 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 you, if you give them ice cream, they'll be mad that you didn't give them the cow. If you give them the cow, they'll be depressed because they don't own a farm. If you give them a farm, they'll be mad because they live in the country. There are some people you just cannot get to see the hope that lies in front of them. Some of the women came and said they saw him, but we ain't find his body. They couldn't find it. Instead of thinking about what that meant, if you couldn't find his body, and the women said they went to see him, and, and they couldn't find his body, it must mean that the body is no longer in the cemetery. The report of the women astonished them, but didn't even trigger a moment of faith. And some of those who went with us, they said to the tomb, found it just like the women had said, but here they go again, a negative already, but they did not see him. Verse 24, was it not necessary? Jesus is talking here. Was it not necessary? The Greek word here for necessary day uh, means that, the, that, that it was a spiritual necessity. Wasn't it a spiritual necessity, Jesus says, as he started to teach them that the Messiah should suffer this stuff and then, verse 26, enter into his glory? 
This, this little word, this little word dei, a necessity, suggests a divine imperative, something ordained by God. Jesus is implying that God ordained the Messiah's suffering before he would enter into his glory. This, while this was not self-evident to the first disciples, the, the Emmaus disciples have identified Jesus, the text says, as a prophet, reminding us that prophets were persecuted and killed. And in Jesus' own words, God's ways, family, are not our ways. God chose the foolishness of the cross. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's so-called weakness in this case is stronger than human strength. That's the teaching of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. The point here is You've got to interpret your own story. You've got to tell your own story. And, and we ought to not be surprised that God who chose young David and uh, to kill a mighty giant and God who chose Gideon's tiny army to overcome a, a fearful enemy and God who chose little Israel instead of a great Roman power and God who chose a 13-year-old little girl to be the God-bearer instead of a monarch sitting on a throne and God who sent a carpenter's son in human flesh to save humanity. It should not be any surprise that God would also choose a cross. I think what's wrong with most of us is that we forget about our own story. I just wish I had me a few folk who would go back over their story right now. Oh, look back over your own life. Isn't it amazing? God did not give you a silver spoon. Not everybody. Some of us had it. Some of, uh, some of us didn't. God didn't give everybody a silver spoon. God did not give everybody political advantage. God did not give everybody everything they've ever wanted. The fact of the matter is sometimes God used two nickels to rub together to make you live like you were rich. Sometimes God used pain and adversity to grow you. He didn't send it, but but he used it as a tool to grow you. Sometimes God has shown you how he can add by subtraction and we crying over what we've lost. Sometimes God shows us how he can multiply, multiply by division and show us how he can make something great out of something that seems so small. Tell your own story. What's your story? My story is I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks in a dying steel town, Buffalo, New York. I grew up in a place in a neighborhood that didn't have big mansions in it. I grew up among good people who just didn't have a whole lot of money. I grew up in a way that, that I had to watch a mama and my dad, my stepdad, work like 
a mule. I watched them work so hard and, and scrimp and save and innovate just to give us the things that we needed. I watched God make ways. I watched God protect us from danger. I watched God uh, protect our house when the gangs were running down the middle of Glenwood Avenue with weapons going to fight and didn't come near our dwelling. I watched God make ways when there weren't a lot of folk I could point to in my community who had been to school, but I saw Mrs. Irma Robinson, a social worker, a, a, a refined lady with a good education. I took note of Sister Robin. I'm telling my story. You better start telling your story. You need to be sharing your story right now. I don't care if you don't listen to me. Share your story with somebody else. If you don't tell your own story, it will not occur to you that Jesus is up to something right now in the midst of what seems like a disappointment. When you tell your story, what it does is remind you that God has a way of making a way where there seems to be no way. When you tell your story, it reminds those around you that you're not by yourself, but that you are packing every day with Holy Ghost power. When you tell your own story, it reminds you that your fortunes are not your own, but God is walking right beside you. When you tell your own story, it will reinterpret the disappointments that you feel and make you understand that God has something great in store for you. Reinterpret your own story instead of looking at the third day as a promise that was not kept because the soul had departed his body. What they should have been thinking about was their own story. When Jesus had sat them down and said, listen here, one of these days I'm going to be taken into the hands of sinful people, folk who ought to know better, and they're going to mistreat me and abuse me. They're going to scourge me and, and lie on me. They're going to kill me and execute me in the killing. They're going to stretch me wide. Romans 12 says that when I am lifted up from the earth, though don't get it twisted, just because of what it looks like, he said, I will draw right from across everybody unto me. I won't leave nobody behind who wants to be saved. Reinterpret your own story. The mistakes that you've made, they taught you something. The struggles that you had, they made you stronger. The enemies that you had, they made you learn how to love. The darkness that you walked through showed you Jesus is the light. The doors that were locked in your face showed you he can open any door. And the doors that were open that you shouldn't have gone through will show you he can shut the door that you ought not walk through. This is my story. He's made so many ways. Every time I turn around, he's blessing me. That's my story. Reinterpret your own story. Stop letting folk tell your story. Oh, he failed. He ain't do nothing. He talked a good game, but we still just like, no, you're not. The devil is a lie. Reinterpret your story. Stop looking at the negative report. Reinterpret your story. Not only that, but make sure that you focus on what Jesus is doing today while you're reinterpreting your story. And guess what will happen? You'll realize 
that what you need is not another miracle. What you need is memory. Listen to verse 35. The two then explained to them what had happened on the road and how they had recognized the Lord when he broke the bread. This is a signal that perhaps they were present in the upper room when Jesus with his disciples broke that bread and said, take, eat, this is my body. Watch this. It will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then, verse 31 says, their eyes were opened. Earlier, they saw him, but somehow they didn't recognize him. Verse 16 says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, their eyes are opened. The exposition of the scriptures prepared for them uh, the recognition that comes with the breaking of bread. They saw that sense and had a sense memory. Oh, I've seen a brother who looked kind of like this do that same gesture, breaking the bread and then handing it out. It was God who was with them. Their eyes had been veiled, but these Emmaus disciples show hospitality to Jesus and, and they're rewarded with a private audience with the risen Lord. Don't miss it. We never know, y'all, what blessings we might receive by giving hospitality or what blessings we might lose by uh, foregoing it because we might be entertaining angels or Jesus unawares. He, he is pro imposing his presence in their space so that it will be patently clear that this is no ghost, this is no angel, this is no mere vapor or vision. This is me in the flesh. He sat down to eat with them. Don't miss it. A ghost ain't hungry. A ghost don't eat if there was such a thing. He took the bread and said the blessing. Then he broke the bread and gave it to them. Verse 30 says, and they're almost exactly the words that Luke used to describe Jesus' actions in the Lord's Supper in chapter 22. Uh, note, note especially the four words, took, blessed, broke, and gave. Jesus took these same actions in feeding the 5,000 in chapter 9. Normally the host would perform the stuff Jesus does and, and the celebrant would perform the stuff in a worship service. But here Jesus, the great, the guest, the great guest of Jesus becomes both host and minister at this table. So, so he didn't come just to be a guest. He came to take over. Oh, that's that's a shout cue. Somebody missed it. He didn't come to join in. You don't need another miracle. You just need a memory. He's already told you what I've come to do. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he takes over the meal. He takes over the place that the host would occupy. And when they saw this, they jumped up. I don't know if they said even bye to Jesus. They jumped up and, and rushed back to Jerusalem. The book says to tell 
the other disciples what they'd just been through. Their blessing comes when they recount the story of what Jesus had done. They, they recall how their eyes were open. They recall how God acted on them again. They, they recall how God lifted the clouds. They recall how God encouraged their hearts. Can I talk to somebody who is down in the mouth this morning? Can I talk to somebody who is struggling with an addiction, who is burdened by some grief, who is uh, oppressed by some vicious enemy, who is locked out of some necessary social circle? You don't need another miracle. I think too many times, y'all, we, we're looking for a miracle. I'm sorry, uh, Lady Clark, Lady Clark Sheard. I'm looking for a miracle. I, I'll receive it when it comes. But here's the thing. You don't need another miracle. All you need is a memory to look back over your experiences and see that Jesus has never lied. He, he has never been short of his word. When he said, I am the good shepherd, you can look back over your own life and remember that there were times you were crazier than a yard dog. Didn't know which way you were going, but Jesus came in and guided you in the right direction. And sometimes you didn't even know how you got where you ended up. All you know is that if it had not been for him on your side, you don't need another miracle if he don't never come here, Beverly Crawford, if he never does anything else for me. He's already done enough. All I need is to remember that when I was on my knees, praying and fasting, waiting and believing, I found out, y'all, he'd already done more than I could even ask. The book says he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think. So right now, what I need is a few disciples in the field to give him glory for what he has done. I need somebody to look back over your life and, and realize that you didn't make it on your own, that somehow an invisible hand nudged you forward. I'm gonna talk to somebody going through some hard times, nudging you forward when you didn't have the strength to go. I dare you to remember how good he's been when folk talked about you, when they mistreated you, when you couldn't find your way. I'm so glad all I got to do is remember what he's already done. I know if I remember what he's already done, I'm walking in the precincts of the miraculous. Because if he did it before, he can do it again. Yeah! I'm so glad that when I look over my life, I know it wasn't me. I can tell y'all so many times I didn't know how, I didn't know when I've been stranded in the jungles of Central America. I've been locked up in jail, standing up for the rights of folk who couldn't stand. I've been mistreated. 
I've been cast out. I've been scorned. I've been talked about. I've been cheated. I've been disrespected. I've been without. And I learned whatever state I'm in, therewith Paul says, to be content. Cause I found out if I just hold on and just hold out in God's time, my change will come. You don't need another miracle. You've already had enough miracles. If he does another, you better give him glory. But you've had enough miracles. You don't need another miracle. All you got to do is realize the odds of your being born, the odds of that one sperm reaching that one egg in the midst of millions of other contenders and somehow it reaches the egg inside and an electrical spark that doctors still don't understand it fires off in the middle of a dark womb and somehow God finds a way to breathe life into you look like a polywog look like a zygote look like something that can't survive but somehow week after week month after month he finds a way to bring your mama near the point of death and out of death he brings life yeah you didn't have no control over who took care of you all you know is somebody did if you're here you ought to give him glory because you've already had a miracle if you're here you ought to give him praise because it could have been the other way that's why the psalmist said let everything that has breath praise the lord praise praise the lord because he's worthy praise the lord because he's good praise the lord because he's able praise the lord because he's got power not just power but all power praise the lord because he fed you when you couldn't go to make groceries praise the lord because when you ate you had an appetite he's worthy of the praise you've had enough miracles didn't he raise you up when you were down on a deathbed you've had enough miracles didn't he touch you when it looked like the doctor couldn't help you you had enough miracles didn't he find you when you were lost in your sins you've had enough miracles you've had enough miracles you've had enough miracles why don't you just stop asking for miracles and lift up your hands throw back your head and say thank you thank you very much thank you you've had enough miracles
What you need is a memory. Listen. We disciples on this, during this post-Easter celebration, we owe Jesus everything. Think of what he gave us. Think of what he's already done for us. You are a walking miracle already. Just realize he's doing something right now. Realize he's doing something in your right now. You may not feel it. You may not even understand it. But something is going on all around you. Just claim it by faith. Tell your own story. Old church used to say, you can't tell it, let me tell it. <laughs> what the Lord has done for me. Stop waiting. Losing time. Waiting for a miracle. If it comes, you got to wait for it. In God's time, God will do what God wants to do. But if you tell the truth... <laughs> You already had so many miracles. It ought to be somebody else's turn. What you need is a memory. If you're here in this sanctuary today, you know I'm right because the book is right and somebody's wrong. Give him your life today out of gratitude for your story, out of gratitude for his moving in your life right now, out of gratitude for all that he has done that you can look back and remember. Give him praise for that right now. The best praise, you can say thank you, but you could thank him by giving your life to him. Romans 10 and 9 says, if you just say it with your mouth and believe it in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, this is the game changer. It's all done. You are saved. What does that mean? Rescued from your sins and the penalty of your sin. Rescued eventually as you get sanctified from the near occasions of sin. Never will you have to pay for the many sins already behind you. This is the blessing of today. The disciples from Emmaus have offered us a great gift. Would you receive it? Come on, pray with me this prayer inspired by Paul if you need Jesus in your life. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need you as my Savior. I am powerless to save myself. Forgive me for the wrongs I've done, my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, the field is rejoicing because right now, somebody 
I like to say, has changed their family tree. Somebody has made the transition from death to life. You ought to celebrate right where you are. We're celebrating for you. We're celebrating with you. Now you need a church family. You need a place to study and worship, to grow and serve God and humanity. I can think of no better place than right here at the field where we're reaching the world, we're reaching the community. We're advocating for the community, building in the community, serving the community, worshiping a God who is already a miracle worker. Why don't you give your life to him? There's a hashtag right down in the bottom of your screen. Just write that in there. Field me. CLT. Or just say, I need Jesus in my life. If you didn't accept him just now. Or say, I need a church family. We'll reach out to you right away and make sure that you can be a partner right where you are in your home country, in whatever state you live. We can show you how. Just give your life to him right now. Come on. on let's leave this place go out into the world from which we've come away to have this time with Jesus let's go back into that world and let them know they can penetrate their past just like you have yours show them and tell them how make a difference in the world this week I'm praying God's going to send an opportunity by everybody's way to witness to the great things Jesus has done this week. Come on, let's go out from this place. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Go in peace.
Thank you so much for listening to the Harvest Podcast. We pray that the message has uplifted, encouraged, and challenged you as you continue your walk with God. If you're looking for a church home, the great news is the field is not confined by the four walls of the church, for we all know that the people are the church. If you wish to become a partner in ministry, but more importantly, a member of God's family, simply reach out to us on Facebook at Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church or on Instagram at The Field CLT. Thank you once again and be blessed.